Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of um, SFP Now. Um, joining us in a few moments will be um, Dr. Trek, the, uh, the know-it-all of Star Trek, the encyclopedia of Star Trek knowledge, uh, and Larry Nemesek, who'll be talking about his new weekly show, The Trek Files, which um, you can find over at Roddenberry.com, and uh, they, they even have a Facebook page on Facebook as well, so, you know... We'll be talking to Larry in a moment, and joining us after that will be uh, Risa, who will be going over the uh, you know the recent television shows with us. Um, we'll be talking about Discovery and the Librarians. But before we get to that, um, let me introduce you guys to Larry Nemesak. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship. Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay, I'd like to welcome um, to the show um, Dr. Track. A.K.A. known as uh, Larry Nemesek, um, who's been a huge Trek fan and a huge part of Star Trek fandom and and um, all things Trek for years. Um, I first got to know Larry through um, through, through his um, his work on Star Trek: The Official Magazine, reading reading his regular column, which um, I should imagine is still going now, um, as well as the Star Trek Fat Files. And he has a new show starting, which is um, which is already which is going to be premiering on the twenty third. So by the time this airs, the show will have already gotten started. He's he's going to be hosting a new fifteen minute show called Trek Files. So welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, Ian. As we were figuring out there on the other side of the room, it, it's we talked years ago, but it's good to talk again finally. Thank you. <laughs> Well, um, first off, um, you know, for those that don't actually know 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 you or know who you are, which I should imagine in Star Trek fandom is very few, other than the new people coming in. Um, how, how do you get involved with Star Trek? What was your first memory of the show, and what what was it that spurred you to get involved in it? Oh boy! <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, thanks for thanks for all those kind words, and. Um, uh, yeah, when I was—I mean, when I was a kid, uh, when Star Trek was—I was actually on the Earth when Star Trek was first. The original series was first on its first network airing, but I was so little I did not control our TV. So I remember Lost in Space. 
but I don't remember Star Trek. But I remember vaguely knowing there was some space show out there with a guy with ears. And that's kind of where I was until I was in the ninth grade and my science teacher Long story short, basically wound up shaming me into going home right that day. I was a rerun baby and going home after school and watching Star Trek then. And I actually started with the animated series. And then after, you know, very quickly was watching Trek every day. And I just, I, you know, back then you don't analyze things, you just do them. And it wasn't until years later that I just, I realized that, yeah, the hopeful message and, you know, the characters and the acting and all that, but I loved how it was a fully formed universe. And you could just climb through your TV screen if you could, and you could walk around. And you kind of, just from watching a few episodes, you kind of knew how that world would be, even if you hadn't seen it in an episode, you know, if you hadn't seen what's around that corner. (laughs) Um, You you kind of knew what it would be, or you had a guess. And then the other cool thing was eventually, you know, the blueprints and tech manuals and, and all the background books started coming out that kind of not only helped you get your your ducks in a row as far as the background goes, but would start gap filling all the canon things Mm -hmm. that you didn't know about the universe things. And that's where I really got interested. And I started, you know, the world of star Trek that, that Stephen Poe wrote and all the old basics. And, but there were so many gaps. It was like, fill that, fill that. And, and I started taking extra notes and, you know, beyond B Joe's concordance, I would write extra notes in that. And, and, um, but I was a kid cursed with a lot of interests. I love history. I, my, my actual, you, you do like everyone else does, and they introduce me as a Star Trek Uber fan, but I always want to say, you know, I have a degree in journalism, and I have a degree in theater, <laughs> and I could have gotten a degree in history, but I didn't know what I would do with it. But that's really where I come from, and I was a huge – I was a NASA kid before I was a Star Trek kid, so I came to Star Trek loving history and loving loving uh, the space program and the, and the idea that we would just go from caves to city-states – to countries, to big countries, to a united earth, to a planetary alliance, that made total sense to me. It was like, well, yeah, duh, that's where we're going. So, you know, Star Trek just, it wasn't a, I love Star Wars, but it wasn't a galaxy far, far away. A long time ago, it was us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and every time Kirk would do one of those speeches uh, where he would do something, they would use this uh, device where Kirk would say, uh, you know, for shorthand, um, you mean to tell me that? that Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Lee Kwan, you know, Colonel Green, and they would do that, you know, linking device, and you instantly knew what was going on and where they were. So that was, that was, and, and I was funny when I first went to my first convention, uh, you know, to stay overnight, I, I took all my back, I, back then you could put all your background books in one box. I took all my background books with me because I thought we would all sit around and, and talk Star Trek background. You know, like I projected what I like to do. I went, oh, people are looking at other movies and episodes and they're talking about the characters and the plots. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, well, that's cool too. But <laughs> it was just, I was, and I, you know, ever since then, I've, I I know that we talk about Star Trek fandom, but there's so many niches, you know, and, and nooks and crannies. So when, when, when fanboys and fangirls, you know, rage online, they used to do it in Interstat in letters and then they did it on the first message boards. And now they do it, you know, back and forth on Twitter and Facebook. It's it's part of the thing. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I came from. Then then I had the chance to do an updated concordance for Next Generation on my own, and they then got introduced that to Paramount at the time of early Next Gen, and and it got bought up to be the Next Generation companion, and we moved to LA, and everything has flowed from that since. Mm-hmm. That's a short version. 
Yeah, I, I think I have the. I think I have a copy of that next generation companion book. You know, um, uh, blue, red, or black? Um, I think it's blue. Okay, well, you know, it was updated after that. Just saying. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to keep hold of stuff. I've actually moved house several times, and I've had to clear out a lot of stuff, which is heartbreaking. But it's okay, you know. <laughs> um, it's all, but it's okay because you've got Memory Alpha now, and and all the companion has been reprinted in Memory. You know, it's all quoted and blocked out in in, in the Memory Alpha anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny that you use actually around when the original series came out. Um, to counter that, I was actually born the same year it was cancelled. Mm. Um, so much like you, I, I caught the series in the 70s when it, when it was, you know, shown yep. in syndication um, and got into it that way. And my, my earliest memories were Kirk ripping his shirt in every episode and, and uh, getting the snot beat out of him. Um, but then as I sort of like grew to maturity, I began to see sort of like the social commentary and, and, and stuff eking through, mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 this, in the series. And, and then, then I just thought, then, then it just completely opened up to me. And, you know, I thought, well, this is a great show. <laughs> right. Well, and you're watching it when, um, when, what, when the BBC or somebody had it, had it showing it? Yeah, I I watched it initially when the BBC was showing it in the um uh, in the late in in the mid seventies and uh, early eighties. Um, then um uh, when TNG came out, the BBC showed the first two seasons of that, and then they then they no longer held the rights to it. Sky picked it up on satellite TV, so everyone who wanted to watch the first uh, first run Star Trek episode six months after it was shown in the US, which it was back then. Um, mm-hmm. Had to go go to a go you know subscribe to Sky Television. Otherwise, I would have been waiting two or three years for the BBC to catch up. Right. Um, so you so you you know what that just struck me. So you guys in the eighties were doing what all the Americans and Canadians are griping about now at Discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we we, <laughs> we were we were like three years behind. You know, mm-hmm. on 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 most most TV shows uh, back in the seventies and eighties, I think. There were there were rare occasions where we you know where we, where we got them a little bit sooner, as in six right. months after. Um, but there was there was lots of shows where we were far behind on, and then there were shows that were shown, such as Mark and Mindy, where a network picked it up for a couple of seasons and then decided they no longer wanted to carry it, and it never, the rest of it was never shown. <laughs> and just left you high and dry. So yeah. just left people high and dry or fans of it. So you know, um, so, so well, you can you can thank internet piracy for getting, <laughs> you, getting you you know next day coverage there of oh, discovery. Oh, absolutely. We've come so far. Absolutely, I mean internet piracy within about fifteen minutes after the episode's aired, it's up there. <laughs> well, you know what's the, you're saying this now. The first time I was in the UK and I was in London was my friend Eric Stillwell. Who worked on Next Generation and used to do, and then later did his own convention, worked at Creation, and then did his own conventions for a while. Um, right at the time uh, the Generations movie came out, and it was such a huge, huge deal because the Next Generation cast was at the peak of everything. Um, for the British premiere, we did. He did a, a joint, also co-produced a convention uh, at the Royal Albert Hall, and they had the whole tie-in of the premiere was like Friday night or Thursday night. And then the convention was Friday, Saturday, Sunday or Saturday, whatever it was. 
and that was my first time in the country. And, um, and I just remember thinking that was, yeah, that was four or five months later back in the day when, and that was a movie premiere, not a TV, you know, running, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that just seems like an ancient time. They kept the, the internet and, and piracy and just people's demand and the technology available and the, and the technology available to monetize it <laughs> has, has changed so much, you know, since then, but that's, what's, that's, what's affected. That's what's always affected any media. And we're just living in the latest, you know, chain of it right now with Star mm-hmm. Trek and with Discovery. But um, those are quaint days I remember back to. I mean, it sort of makes no sense now that uh, any any network uh, internationally should be behind by by six months on a show. It just mm-hmm. makes no sense for them to do that when you know. And and, and to be honest, I think uh, the days of network TV, satellite TV, and and cable TV mm-hmm. are kind of done for now. You know, because we've got Netflix, we've got Amazon, and there's um, there's all these sort of like streaming channels coming out, right? And, right. and we've now got internet. You know, that's it's not quite there yet, but it's getting there to a point where it's it's going to be strong enough and powerful enough to facilitate that change. Yeah. Well, we just we here just in my my family, we just cut the cord, as we say here. And I was chagrined to figure out that cutting the cord that sounds like you've got one cord. And one cutter. <laughs> and it's not that easy when you're trying to maintain. And there are a lot of things. I feel like we, we did it to, like our, basically our cable internet combined bill here went up 50% with mm-hmm. no going back. So this is like, well, this is ridiculous. Let's finally do this. But it wasn't an easy, I had to go research and figure out what I wanted and what the best way to get it and the cheapest way and the available way. And this is, you know, between countries and between parts of the, the states are different. And I'm in, in L.A., so it's, you know, we're not out in the desert or out in the wilds of the, of, you know, whatever. But um, it was still, you had to figure out all these particular, I feel like I should get a continuing education credit somewhere. I feel like I've just done, <laughs> done a seminar at a university or something. But uh, but the things, but still, you know, so the price is kind of back to what it was in the 80s. But I feel like the technology is too. Like I, I really got used to with cable. With we had a digital, you know, we had a buffer, and you could go back and forth and record. I mean, you recorded for one thing, but you could you could uh, go back and go forward in what you were in as long as it was there. And uh, the streaming, there's there's limitations on various streaming. You know, for one thing, you can't you know zoom through commercials or or record easily and go through commercials. So anyway, it's there's some things we give up in the short term as everything adjusts, but but it's definitely where it's going. They just got too, way too too greedy. I know some people say that what, by the time they go a la carte and get everything they want, they're paying the same amount that they did before. <laughs> like, what have I gained? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm going, you know, instead of buying everything at the big bulk store, I'm going to five different small stores. But that's true. And but I, I still think we're, you know, we're doing the right thing. And um, and eventually, this is all going to shake out. We're all in the middle of a big transition right now, anyway. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah. I, and it's different from country to country. So if what I'm saying here doesn't apply to the UK and or a lot of your listeners, you know, so be it. But we're, you know, we all have our differences. But um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely the way things are going, and the and the old networks know it, and they're you know, and CBS has jumped in with the streaming and getting yelled at, but it was kind of inevitable, mm-hmm. you know, it was. with with yeah. yeah. I mean, talk, talking about our listeners, we we you know, majority of our listeners are actually uh, U.S. and Canada. <laughs> and, oh, okay. Uh, um, but, then I'm preaching to the choir. Then okay. So they, they, you know, so so quite quite a lot of what you're probably saying probably does apply. Um, and I think it probably applies here as well. It's just that, you know, we're dragging our heels a bit, as usual. 
<laughs> well, you're in the great club called Netflix that everybody in the States and Canada is pissed off that they're not in because it would just have been an added show without having to subscribe separately. But, you know, CBS All Access just did a deal with uh, Amazon Prime. For, they've got It's some kind of an add-on, but I have to check that out. But, I mean, you know, it's like nothing is set in stone right now. We're in a very transitional, fluxy time. And the bottom line is that just as with I – mean, now we kind of don't think about it because it's not like UPN turned into the next CBS or NBC – but the same way that they used Voyager to flagship, uh, you know, the United Paramount Network here, mm-hmm. they're using Star Trek to flagship their streaming service. So, yeah, I, I remember that because I remember going to the states uh, back in the nineties, and I used to always say, "Oh, let's try and get into a hotel that's actually got a UPN thing yet, so we can actually see Star <laughs> Trek." And there, there were a few times where we actually missed out, but <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. that was always sort of like. No, pretty high on the list of priorities. <laughs> or like try well, and then even further back, trying to find a syndicated station, uh, a station that was syndicating e- even Deep Space Nine, or or had it on, you know, sometime besides two in the morning after the hockey game or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, you know, I remember going to the states the first time, and I was completely blown away by the amount of cable channels you guys had in comparison to over here. You know. Yeah. Because it was, you know, it's probably twice what we had. Um, I mean, I think we saw like uh, still around about the uh, prehistoric number of about 150 channels at that at that point in time. <laughs> you guys well, and you know, the more channels of cable you have, the more cultured and intelligent your population is, right? No, not really. I mean, you know, <laughs> what, what what do you think's happened? We got the Kardashians now, and um, and then they, you know, and you know that you know when 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 the Kardashians came on, I thought basically it was a a Star Trek alien race that had been spelt wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. If if only, if only. <laughs> But, you know, I think the more the more channels we got, the more sort of like reality TV and uh, and junk is sort of like fasted in. Yeah, I just keep thinking we're we're between uh, the Truman Show and um, and Bread and Circuses, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, get, getting on to uh, Trek Files, um, you you have your first show on the twenty third of February, um, as as a, uh, on twenty third of January. Sorry, as I said, mm-hmm. uh, by the time we air this, you you're going to have. Um, I've had right. the first episode, um, um, and it looks like you got quite a few great guests coming up uh, in the form of Dave Rossi and uh, quite a few people. Um, what what can you tell us about the uh, format of the show, and um, where where did the idea to do it come from? Well, the idea to do it came from Rod Rodberry. I mean, I I've had uh, I'll tell you something. So years ago, when the when the podcast boom started, and I started to go on as a guest, I thought, hey, I should be hosting my own show, and then I thought, well. Even by, you know, 2011, 2012, there were a lot of good shows out there. And I did not, I thought that I shouldn't do one unless I was going to take it to the next level. If I really had a unique angle or if I was going to do something where, I mean, and God bless the the small D democracy of podcasting. And not just in Star Trek, but, you know, sports and politics and everything. It's kind of like the fanzines of our time in a way almost, Um, you know, or the next generation of websiting and blogging. And um, I just thought I would hold up, and I had some ideas, but I wanted to wait till everything was right, and I was right to to take some of those ideas to the next level. Well, I've got other projects, you know, like the Connor Wrath, and I'm building Portal Forty Seven as a fan experience business, and in my documentary there, and and out of all that, last year, Rod Roddenberry came to me and said, you know, we've given a lot of my dad's papers to the UCLA archives. 
But we have so much more here. And before we go through all of that again, I'm thinking that it might be might be a good idea to share some of that directly with people. I'd like to do a podcast. Um, and, and then John Champion, mm-hmm. who a lot of listeners know from Mission Log, and I've known him for longer. Good guy. He uh, Rod had already put thoughts to this, and he had come up with an idea for for what is the Trek Files, and I put my two cents in. But basically, the Trek Files is a, just a 15-minute weekly show, podcast. It'll, it comes out on Tuesdays, but the idea is to pull a document out of Gene's drawers, <laughs> out of Gene's files, large, small, serious, fun, whatever it is, and I talk about it with a guest, as you said. And uh, Dave Rossi's going to love love it that you notice his name and not Dorothy Fontana. Oh, I, I did notice Dorothy Fontana as well. I just said, you know, I, I'm actually I'm actually working from the uh, from the press release, but I'm also working from memory. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm, I, Dave will love it if he hears this. Yeah. So I was very so uh, John Champion is a guest, and here's the thing: since they're 15 minute episodes, we do them in batches. So I actually have uh, so John is a guest on several. Dave is a guest on several, and uh, if you, you gave Dave's name without any introduction, so I hope uh, listeners know who he was, and, and I hope pe- more people can hear him at a convention. You should ask your local convention uh, to have Dave as a guest, because he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's got a, almost got a stand-up comic air about him when he gets going. Cool. He was there in the front row seat with Rick Berman for years and years and years with, you know, late Next Gen all the way through. He became an associate producer on Enterprise, and then worked on the original series blu-ray remastering project with the akutas so he was there before the akutas were so so dave and then of course dorothy who does need no introduction i hope if you're a trek fan oh absolutely i mean you yeah. know so like went from being gene roddenberry's secretary to being one of the most prolific writers on the show mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> no one no introduction needed there <laughs> she wrote the book on being vulcan when there was no book mm-hmm. and um and be you know spock's family and then ran the animated series for gene Mm-hmm. She, was, she was the uh, showrunner for the animated series, and then wrote the pilot. And the first uh, was on staff early, and uh, wrote the pilot for Next Generation. Was back then. So yeah. she also wrote an episode of the uh, of the so like uh, much behind seventies television adaptation of Logan's Run. Yes. Oh, Dorothy's been around a long time, and she's still active. She's still active, and you know, a couple of things she's written for um, the fan film era. She her. Uh, Script with Walter to serve all my days was done by New Voyages mm-hmm. uh, about ten years ago. So no, it was it was I was thrilled to have her, but I wanted people who had real insight. I mean, I call it Trekland, but everything I do across the board. I mean, when I was a fan, I got tired of reading. And no offense to fandom, because people are using their resources they have, whether it's fanzine writing or podcasting now or whatever. But at one point, I just get tired of hearing fans talk about material, and I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, and I realize that's not always easy. So, you know, when I got the keys, when I got to edit, when I was the editor of uh, Communicator Magazine, the official magazine, and whenever mm-hmm. I've, you know, worked all these years with the Titan uh, Magazine with my column, and, and thanks for that shout-out, by the way, it just past 20 years, if you can believe it. I, I know, I mean, um, I I, um, <laughs> I still get the magazine every now and again. Um, I, I'm not as religious as I used to be. I got every issue. Uh, for about a 15-year period where I'd get it religiously. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've sort of like uh, backed off a little um, of late because I've had to tighten my belt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the Internet's immediacy is great, but there are still a lot of things that it's just good to have. And they have a PDF version. You can get a digital version of it. Yep. It's, you can subscribe. 
But there's just some things that it's good to have it in your hands holding and just be able to grab, just like the companion book. A lot of people tell me it's, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there was, oh, well, there's no point in publishing anything. It's all on the Internet. That was the phrase. It's all on the Internet. It's like, yeah, but sometimes you're, besides being your Internet is down or slow, it's good just to be able to go grab the damn book, open it right to the page and go bang. You know, like in five seconds, ding, 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 bang. Here it is. Plus, there's a, and, there's, uh, there's a smell of the book as you open it and the, mm. and, and the, and the, and the, the feel of turning the pages and... You know, it's it's like it's one. It's like um, it's like the moment in Next Generation when Data's commenting about uh, Picard, Picard uh, touching the um, touching the, the phoenix, the, the phoenix in in, in mm-hmm. first contact. It's 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 exactly like that. You know, I almost wish they looked at Troy or was it Troy or Crusher that said that and that said. Yes, we do want to be alone. <laughs> I I think I think that was actually Troy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I started to say Troy, and then I had the image of Crusher walking in with her radiation report. Um, I was, but I thought it was Troy. But no, it's that same, it's that same moment. So anyway, back to your question. Yeah, that's that's where the show came from. So it's 15 minutes. It um, started on the 23rd, so now you can subscribe. Uh, but here's the thing: it's we're keeping it very simple, uh, simple and focused, and we want people to come on and comment afterwards. It's all located at the Facebook page, so it's. Facebook, you know, facebook.com slash the track files or just the track files on Facebook. And you can go to the links for, and here's the thing, not just the show, not just the episode, the 15 minute episode, but the document we're talking about, whether it's one page or 10 or 12 pages or whatever, will be there too. You can download it. We'll scan it. It'll be there. You can, you can download it and follow along. You can read it ahead of time. You can follow with us. We'll, the format of the show is that we come on and I, and I jump right into talking about what we're going to talk about, but, but focusing on one aspect and then it's some piece of it is audibly read and then, then I bring on our guest and we start talking about it. And again, it's only 15 minutes and a lot of people that have heard me over the years, Ian, say, Larry, I don't believe it that you're shoehorned into 15 minutes. <laughs> but, but we really do. John, really, really, we really watch the clock. So I promise you we have no overruns of like two hours when we promise 15 minutes. But which, but to also makes that's real tightening and real focused. And here's the thing. We don't waste great pieces. In fact, I'll tell you, we've had some historic I, – I predict that we will have some historic documents we've found. It's not all that way. We're not going to write history books with every show. In fact, there's a couple. In fact, the pilot at Rod's request starts out with a document that's been around for a long, long time. And if you're – a fan, especially back to the original series, but if you're a fan of any series, I think you should know the roots. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a big DS9er, you should know where that came from. Even if you're more, if you think Next Gen is the continuation of the original series, really all all series, including Discovery, obviously, if they're going to say Star Trek, they'd better all flow from. I don't mean in a canon timeline sense. I mean in a real world evolution sense. They all go back to Gene, right? And Gene Roddenberry and Dorothy and Gene Kuhn and, you know, Matt Jeffries and Bob Justman and all those guys. And the foundational elements and tone and the thing that, that Gene brought to it and that Gene fought with censors over and Gene fought with the network and all that. Uh, and just the banality of Hollywood at the time. Um, there's a couple of documents from the original series that have been out there for a long time. But if you're a fan, you should know them. And we start the series just so everybody's not disappointed that we didn't you know, come up with the holy grail of something. We start with one of those common documents, but we talk about what Rod wanted us to focus on 
out of the gate, which is one of the, the founding tenets of Star Trek, that maybe gets overlooked at times. So I'll just leave it at that. But as we unroll the, the series and we have other episodes, there is one document that I fell off my chair laughing because it, it quotes a line from the Discovery pilot verbatim. And it, I, I know Discovery didn't do this intentionally because this was an obscure piece of paper. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. But there's another one that I literally had no idea existed. I think it will make uh, Trek and uh, pop culture and maybe entertainment uh, news when we announced it the week before, just a few weeks in. So I'm really excited, you know, and then we have some things that are as small as, you know, letters to Gene or letters he wrote to fans, to other celebrities, to coworkers, but his notes to people. And, and this is, you know, Gene died in 91. So yeah, these are pieces from not just the original series, but the seventies and all through the time of the different movie pitches, his own was turned down and, and then the planet of the Titans I mean, he was doing one called The God Thing, and then Planet of the Titans went to two or three iterations, and then the Phase 2 series that was abortive, and then finally Motion Picture. And then we also have documents from the 80s, both, you know, again, more back of the desert when Gene wasn't doing the movies, and then in the lead-up to Next Generation. So we've got 60s, 70s, 80s pieces, and uh, uh, it's, it's just... We, we picked what we're talking about. We selected the files, again, whether it was something simple or something more complex. And the more complex things, we, we have multiple episodes on, so we don't throw anything away. But um, we picked everything both from what's cool for Star Trek history and what's an insight into Gene and what it said about the world, either the political world or the media world at the time, or both, since they're often interlinked. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, just all those, all those levels... If it struck me, if it struck John as, um, you know, oh, wow, this would be good. We just kind of go back to our instincts about what, you know, either what fans will enjoy or what fans need to know. And as I started to say, that's been my when I get a chance to have the keys, whether it was running the magazine or doing fact files or helping with, you know, consulting on the experience in Vegas, whatever it is that I've been able lucky enough to do doing the companion it's doing it my way, but my way is asking the questions uh, that I always wanted to ask. And a lot of times, in a very shallow, superficial way, the quickie, you know, the quickie actor interviews or the quickie, we don't even talk to these people that I wanted to talk to, those got overlooked. Now, we live in such a media-soaked world, you're watching the creators of Discovery on the after Trek show. I mean, <laughs> people are doing what it used to take five and ten years to get to immediately after a show airs, which is awesome. But mm-hmm. that's still... You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg still. And there's still so much out there, even with what we're talking about right now, even with what's gone before 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years before, there's so much out there. And and uh, that's what my Portal 47 uh, fan experience every month. I say it's like a mini con every month with the, the people that I bring in to talk about their time working on the show of whatever era and some of the documents and, and, and insights that I try to bring to it in, in my 30 years here on the front line. Um, but that's what I'm all, that's my, that's my corner of Trekland and the Trek files fits right in there. Again, I didn't want to just do more same old, same old. And when Rod had this idea, I thought, oh my God, this is great. Cause it's access to the family files to Gene's pieces. But I knew that we'd be able to not just bring them out and say, Hey, look what we found, but put some context around everything. And again, relate it to the time it was written and what was going on in the world and, and in Trek and, and related to today. You know, like, oh, look how far we've come. Look how far we've changed. Look how far we're exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. 
right. you know, it's like that, uh, like that saying, that quark says in the bar, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But um, what I'm going to ask you is, uh, do you have any documents, perhaps, uh, from the sensors of the time, or, or the network saying, you know, saying... Oh well, you know we don't want that Mister Spot guy because of his pointy ears. He looks like the devil and and stuff like that. Do you have any any documentation pertaining to that sort of thing? We haven't that specifically. We haven't used or gotten to partly because what we're finding is even more interesting and new beyond that. For the, with I guess with with a, aside from a couple of exceptions that. We know most fans have or should have seen, but we're doing those for a reason. Yeah. A lot of what we're pulling out is really, really unique bits. Or it's things that, you know, Gene wrote forwards and epilogues and uh, introductions to other people's books. And we're finding his manuscripts where he made notes or, or, or letters from other people where he made notes or, or replied to them. Mm-hmm. And um, those have been... What you're talking about, like the the back and forth with NBC and the you know all that from from Steve Poe's Steve Whitfield's book forward, that's a lot of that's been out there. And not that we won't get to it, but I I just know in the first you know dozen two dozen episodes we haven't had one of those specifically. Mm-hmm. But but that's not to preclude if we find a really really like I said one that really works on two or three levels from the time and maybe even speaks to something today. Because I'm well, we said it a while ago. I went through a period about 10 years ago where I thought there was no point in me keeping up with Star Trek anymore. I mean, we were in the fallow time, mm-hmm. but, you know, with no fresh Trek. But I thought that everything I could offer Trek fandom was everything I knew was old, was all, you know, moldy, oldy. Everybody had heard it before. These are the same old stories. And and I didn't really realize as I was griping at the you know the internet website the news sites that were coming along in the aughts say like about the, you know oh three oh four oh five oh six I keep seeing I'd see a headline to a story and think well that's not that's not news that's like twenty years old and then it finally hit me that thanks to the JJ movies and thanks now to Discovery and the Netflix you know streaming ability and the remasters. We have a whole new generation of people that weren't there in the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s or even the aughts. <laughs> and they don't know all this stuff. So it's not moldy oldie and everyone knows it. It's we'll always have new fans that and, and we'll have people. We'll have a lot of people right in the moment as they ought to be. But pe- people who can add context and add some history and point out, you know, connect the dots fairly easily. Or maybe if I can be, you know, hopefully the role I really like is as we, as our paradigm shift, as we get used to watching a streaming series versus, you know, the old network model, and we still are going on our old instincts, but what's what's different, right? What's changed? And some of that goes beyond just knowing the trivia of the moment into realizing our whole fan experience, our whole audience experience. And my God, I sound like I'm writing a textbook now, but <laughs> I didn't know what you mean to get down here. But all of that is what I feel like I can still I can still bring to Trek and to fandom, and that I want to. I mean, it's it's just in my bones to do it. So no pun intended. So so that's what I hope the Trek you know without in fifteen minutes a week <laughs> with a guest. That's what I really wanted. In fact, anything I do, my Portal Forty Seven, my I have another idea that I want to do with with Rod, with Rod under their banner that I really have wanted to do. I've had the idea for for that next plateau to do for a time, and uh, that's what I'm going to like work on next when I'm not trying to get the Conor Rath documentary finally finished. 
But um, yeah, if I haven't overtalked the thing now, that's. <laughs> oh, okay, that's cool. I, I I really enjoy listening. I mean the, I mean the reason that's I. Yeah. The reason I ask that question is because uh, with Discovery we've got the we've got the first you know gay relationship in a Star Trek show that is an official Star Trek show because obviously Star Trek uh, Phase well, Two did. did it um, first um, based on the um, actual David Gerald script that didn't didn't make it for Next Generation. Right. But you know, so like, so, so, so that's now out there in 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 Star Trek, and it, you know, and it's it's long overdue, uh, you know. Right. Um, so that's kind of why I asked asked whether there was any documentation about about stuff like that mm. that you'd be talking mm. about well, because it's it's certainly there for us, and some of the pieces we pull, and you know, if we're gonna have a long run here, we're gonna be we're gonna be mining. A lot of things. I mean, some of that's out there and some of it's even out like in the academic collections where you can get to it. But to put a spotlight on it, to bring it to the masses, that's another great thing about this podcast. We, you know, you have only one person at a time can. My good friend John Tenuto in Chicago has been going to the Nick Meyer collection at, the, at his alma mater at the University of Iowa and doing some really great research and digging out all kinds of great forgotten bits about Nick's career, especially around the Wrath of Khan. And uh, but that's still like just a one to one process. And, and unless he's a guest on a podcast. So um, that's one thing that I'm hoping we can do is maybe open again, open up that channel quicker, faster, you know, more. And eventually, though, we'll get around. And, and there are, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of those back and forths. And, you know, the, the, the making of Star Trek had them in the 60s era, which are fun. But there's a lot of that from Next Generation, too. And even even Gene and the other writers. I mean, Gene was in declining health. Mm-hmm. He was getting crotchety. And by then, Gene had transformed, you know, the whole – people People put one spin to it or another. But when Gene started out to get his mortgage paid because he couldn't sell another pilot in the 70s, uh, and he was trying to keep up his, you know, his station as a producer. And Star Trek was becoming a legend, but it was – you know, nobody got paid on 60s contracts for more than, uh, you know, one show and a couple of reruns. And so the cast and him were all demigods, but were all, you know, still needed to work. And he was doing his college tour. And that's where the kind of the, you know, the guruification of Gene started to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, while we were going through pieces, we found they're not documents per se, but we could probably take 15 minutes on them. Um, you know, 10, 12 minutes by the time we get everything. Uh, some of the posters that they had from some of the college appearances back in the 70s and, you know hand-drawn or, or, you know, at the local Kinko's or whatever. But, um, no, we've got – we've what you're mentioning there is we've got – we haven't done in the original batch of episodes, but we'll certainly get to that and uh, and hopefully a lot more unexplored little corners. Some things may be just about Gene because if you understand Gene, you understand that much more about Star Trek, either mm-hmm. older or later. And uh, we'll have some things that are personal to him. Uh, we we talked about uh, Gene Roddenberry and, uh, and and Star Trek and some of the social commentary within Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. would, would 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 you say would you consider that Gene was maybe um, kind of leaning towards uh, socialism in 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 a lot of the <laughs> things he had to say? Uh, yes, but but for a reason. I mean, it's amazing the word. Well, and I'm talking about an American perspective versus where you are, maybe. Mm-hmm. Although you say, I think a lot of your listeners are American. 
that's such become such a hot button word now that communism per se, although the Chinese are still communistic, they're, they're the most capitalistic communists ever. Mm-hmm. But but uh, that's become such a hot button word. It's almost replaced. I mean, like, there are a lot of lesser educated people that are confusing socialism with communism. Socialism to me is just like here's our country, here's the whole pie of money our government has. How do we split it up the best? We make the choices. We do what we want to do with it. You know, and it's what and what is the what makes the best sense for the government to do versus private people to do on their own? If if there's a a math in the numbers and it makes more sense for the government to do something, uh, then let's do that. And and in America, we've we've got that everything from roads and bridges and police departments and fire departments. You know, uh, I remember when I was young that there people call private ambulance services, but now we have EMS and and we have governmental you know trained uniformly trained and coverage areas for that and that was like in the 70s and 80s and 90s that trend nobody blew up over that over our ambulances becoming socialistic so here in the states we have the fight over health care but gene back in the day in the 60s and 70s people were all caught up in this you know ooh the ooh ah space geekery and the and and the morality tales but i think that subtext of wait a minute what's this federation economy all about it's amazing how that's kind of come out to light the further we've gotten away actually from the fall of the wall and and this debate in the country partly over healthcare but about a lot of things and this anti-socialism movement like it's but to me that was just part of star trek i mean to answer your question yes but it's not like gene was a raving socialist uh, no more than he was a raving humanist. He just kind of thought that was the general way things were evolving. I mean, like I said, I I always saw the evolution, and I came at this from a NASA kid and a history buff, and the way I could see us going from caves to small city-states to, to empires to democracies to a peaceful one world to reaching out to other ones made total sense. And what Gene always would say was, we won't be out in space unless we learn to we learn to get over ourselves. If we don't blow ourselves up, if we don't poison the planet, if we survive that far, we will have the wisdom and the uh, and, and the unity to reach out into the stars. If we have solved these problems, then that's the natural outcome. And we won't have that natural outcome if we haven't made peace with ourselves, found the way to make peace. And as you know, Idik would say, not just tolerate diversity but celebrate it and see the value and the beauty in that and at the same token uh the people the intelligences the life forms that we meet in space and actually make contact with probably would have had to have done the same thing or they would have destroyed themselves up and not advance the point of having you know a warp drive to be able to traverse distances if you don't, if you can get to be that advanced you had to have figured a few other things out along the way over the time span so you know, having said that, socialism is still just going back and figuring out the best way to divide up the resources for the right people as long as you don't have, you know, the lords and serfs. And if you're still at 100, you know, two or 300 years from now, if you're still at a lord and serf feudal mentality where the 1% of everything and the 98% are still scrapping around and 1% right below that have the only chance of even climbing above that – if you're still at that level, you're not – you've broken down somewhere where you're not going out. I mean Terran empires <laughs> mm-hmm. aside, who will eventually fall as we know from DS9. So you know that all made sense to me. And here's the other thing. People love to – you know, what takes us beyond just the mere political theory realm here is when you mix 
politics and science, which a lot of people run screaming from the room when you bring this up. But the other part of Star Trek that people used to think, you know, was uh, as the politics started to dawn on people of what Gene was saying in Trek over the years. And then, you, you know, by the time of Next Gen and First Contact and Picard is just saying, you know, it's a joke in, in the voyage home, right? Well, I don't have any change. Well, mm-hmm. They use currency in this time period. It's kind of a it's kind of a ha ha. But 10 years later, you have Picard saying, we don't have money in our time. And, and, and she's, you know, Lily's looking at him like he's crazy. And it's by now it's the 90s and it's dawning on people. Wait a minute. What, what exactly does that mean? And, and you have critics of, you know, of, of, of socialism saying, well, this is just pie in the sky crazy. It's not when you accept the other tenet of Star Trek, which is replicator technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kirk did it back with Morob and Sylvia in Cat's Paw. You know, from as simple as that was, he tries to throw a bunch of a jewel, valuable gemstones at him. And Kirk is like, we can make this. It's like it's no longer, you know, pretty gems and shiny gold is no longer a thing of value. They don't have currencies. That's why on DS9, when they wanted to make the Ferengi, well, the Ferengi capitalistic, but when they made them, they had to flesh it out for DS9, they came up with gold-pressed latinum, and it had nothing to do with either gold or the latinum. It was all the way it was preserved and suspended and... You know, they finally, it took them six years, <laughs> right? <laughs> so who mourns for mourn? But they finally, because for years people would say, you can replicate gold, you can replicate latinum. We've said that for 20 years in Star Trek. Why Why is gold press latinum so special? And, you know, the, you know, Ira and the guys would kind of run away screaming from that. But they finally figured out a gimmick for why it's valuable, why the Ferengi can still have a capitalistic society and have a currency of value to to base on because gold press latinum can't be replicated because it's a liquid in suspension and yada 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 yada. So they finally got around that hurdle, right? For those who want money, here you are. But who who want a thing of value you can base a currency and an economy on? And then we find out that the you know the eventually who is it has Issyx and the Klingons have a currency. But but for humanity and the Federation, the Federation interacts with them. So Quark is getting a thumb pad, you know, for bar bills. And you can kind of have jokes and you can kind of have that. But still the underlying thing is they make jokes about the about the Federation not having money, right? And and uh, um, um, I keep wanting to say when Nog and uh, Jake have their little debates, you know, d- d- uh, bidding for the, for the baseball card and all of that, and they can get into that. And carrying that through. And then we hop back to Archer and we see that it doesn't come up a lot, but we kind of still see them talking about it a little bit. But the bottom line is replicator technology. What is that? Uh, uh, what's that called? A scarcity economics or your, your post-scarcity economics. And you really can be all about what you want to do, not scrabbling for value so you don't die. Right. And so we, we kind of when you're there, then socialism, I mean, the government they have makes sense. Don't we, you think? Yeah. And I think we're kind of getting close to it as well. I mean, we've got 3D printers now and they're becoming uh, ever more and more accessible. I mean, you can pick up a 3D printer now for around about 400 pounds. I mean, granted, yeah. it's not a big industrial one, but it's sort of like it would do the odd job for you. Um, you know, <laughs> well, so. yeah, you know, and when you could train a 3D printer to break down to the subatomic level and make gold. When you get a, when you get the alchemy 3D printer, make sure and let me know. But that's to me, that's what will really revolutionize things. And it's so that's part of the subtext of Star Trek. It's like it's all laid in. It's so subtextual that I don't think the writers quite grasp what they could do with this at times, unless it came up as a you know the time travel shows. They'd suddenly have to go. Oh, our guys don't have money, you know. But 
to really figure out what that means, and like when DS9 did uh, uh, Future Tense, you know, when they, when Cisco and, and Bashir and Dax are thrown back to the Bell Riots and the yep. 20, you know, and they're like, oh my God, it's just, you know, we're used to hearing McCoy talking about the archaic ways, you know, oh, they sewed up their patients with cat guts. Well, we think about science and technology, and well, of course, right? The Wright brothers and warp drive. But when Star Trek would go to a social scale, we didn't go there that often. But when we did, it kind of people were like, oh, yeah. And, you know, I was the whole thing of doing that two-parter was we didn't just go from today to Gene's utopia on Earth in one fell swoop. We had to get there in stages. Let's tell, you know, and, and Star Trek is not about history, but that's why the occasional you know, flashback show, time, tra- not time travel, whatever, How, whatever the device is, hologram, hologram, uh, holodeck uh, program. Mm-hmm. But Star Trek can still explore those ways without just having it be a, a line of history delivered by a modern day character, right? So I don't know. So yes, your simple question. Uh, yes, Gene was saying socialism, but I don't think he was trying to be radical. I think he was just saying a fact, just like we will eventually have a warp drive. We will eventually have some of these other technologies because they are tools and they make sense for people who are all on an equal plane. And if we don't evolve into an equal plane, we won't ha- be around to worry about it because we would have done Life ourselves, ourselves out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting one as well um, about there being no money in, 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 in the Star Trek universe. I don't think Arching Ring came really fully to fruition really until the, until until next generation. I do remember Kurt referencing, "Oh, we can make this stuff," sort of thing, like you say. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the, the, there's probably quite a few people that have written some quite interesting, uh, you know, books and done interesting podcasts about the economics of Star Trek. Given that they 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 no longer use money, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, so an author, uh, economist uh, that I met a couple years ago and uh, still owe him an interview, uh, Manu Sadia, had a great book called Treconomics, the Economics of Star Trek that kind of crystallized all this. And occasionally I'll see some, you know, understandably angry or confused, should I say, right-wing economists, politicians mm-hmm. who, you know, rail on and on about Star Trek's crazy socialism it'll never work and what they're they're all looking at star trek through you know 2018 eyes you've got to remember the big paradigm you know of all the paradigm shifts in trek it's not just transporters and warp drive it's replicator technology and it's not just walk over to the booth and order up a prune juice whenever you want one it's it's like what does that really represent and when you when you you know when gold and lead me are, are exactly the same worth because they're just atoms, literally. Um, you know, it's like, what are the repercussions from that? And anyway, he gets into that, and other people have done the same thing. And um, yeah, so no, I mean, yes, that's exactly what Gene was doing. He soft pedaled it because it was the 60s and it was still commercial television. But the underlying subtext was, of course, they would have that because that's where they would be. That's what the technology allows. That was the blossoming of people. We since came up with a World War Three, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, so we weren't, we didn't, we didn't get there easily. And the, you know, the other side of the coin for Star Trek is maybe we have got there, but maybe the Klingons, the Romulans, the Cardassians, the Bajorans, we're mixing with them. We're not exactly being stingy with our with our technologies, but their mindsets are still, you know, their their politics. And are still clashing with their technologies and what that means for their cultures. 
And as we watch, you know, it's not just for adventurous, dramatic storytelling. Uh, you can also say that's what's underlying all the chaos and upheavals when we go out and meet other cultures that on the surface may just be bad guys who want to shoot us and take our stuff. But as Voyager did at times with its technology, when they weren't being so prime directive, there were times when like when Janeway gave the Herosian holodeck technology and it had unintended consequences but that's eventually what would happen because eventually everybody would be you know, the the problem with communism wasn't that it wasn't a great ideal my friend my 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 hero will rogers once said um you know from the 20s and 30s once said my fellow Oklahoman, said um uh prohibitions prohibition is like communism it's a great idea but it just won't work mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning that it was good in principle but the fact that we had the human element involved, right? And the problem with communism was everyone was supposed to be equal, but human nature still in the paradigm and the technology level they had and we have now still, somebody was always had to be on top. Somebody else always had to be below. Also, on a much, and, on a much more yeah. simple level than that, um, communism never really accommodated for individuality. You know, right. Is, and and I think, think that's basing it in a nutshell. <laughs> Well, right, right, right. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's one thing to say we're all equal here in the workers' proletariat, but somebody's going to be in charge of the committee, and somebody's going to be in charge of the committee of committees. And before you know it, boom, you got bureaucracy and titles. And uh, if you're an astronaut or an athlete, I hear in the 60s, you did very well in the Soviet Union. So, uh, yeah. But, but yeah, democratic socialism is what they have. You know, it's if you're going to be accurate there. We've never even got into how the government works, how the federation. And we, it's loosely the United Nations ish, but you know, we've mm-hmm. never pushed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think think that's probably why I've always liked Star Trek was is because I was kind of brought yeah. up in I was brought yeah. up in a in a socialist household. My my dad was a was was to you know to the left of politics and uh, you know we we we've all been raised in that sort of thing and we we kind of lived in in tumultuous times in the eighties uh, and as we are again now um, because everything's in flux again now um, you know so it's you know and it seems timely that we now have Star Trek back on on the small screen again. Uh, given given everything that's been happening in the last sort of like uh, ten twenty years, in, yes, that's what I kept saying the last year or two. Uh, thank God we have a, a you know as long as it's truly Star Trek, and I think this show I, you know we haven't talked about Discovery per se, but I think uh, and people more and more people are enjoying it, and a lot of people had had reservations, they have reservations, and quite apart from here in the states and Canada. The whole issue of having to pay separate for it because God intended Star Trek to be free. <laughs> um, <laughs> but and I, I'm laughing at that, but I, I totally get it. A lot of people in a in a crunch and in six bucks or ten bucks more a month is a real is a real drag. And and then even then, when you get it, sometimes the interface is you know lousy, and you can't just back up and get to you can't freeze frame right exactly on what you want. It's a little clunky at times. But saying all that, the fact of having Star Trek out in the conversation or having Star Trek, even if it's starting from a dystopian-ish place, after, you know, 10, 15 years of vampires and zombies and and all of that, you know, and medieval, you know, hacks with dragons dominating the pop culture imagination landscape, getting back to, you know, unabashedly hopeful, futuristic adventuring 
with Star Trek is a breath of relief. Even with this Star Trek, I know that was a disappointment to people. Even with this starting in a dark place, well, you know, DS9 started in a dark place. So the 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 meta the uh, you know in universe or the in you know behind the scenes reason here is this show didn't start off with a troubled beginning. It just had a real delayed gestation because nobody could decide if the you know the parents kept changing <laughs> or the driver the driver kept getting out every mile or two to change. Um, we kept stopping the plane every time to take on a new flight crew, but it's it's settled down now and eventually never veered widely off its path. And uh, you know what they've been rolling out the last few episodes is what this group I said the other day. It's what this group has now that they finally got the wheel, and um, we're all enjoying that. But you know, as years go by, people will look back and see Discovery. I think that it was amazing that it went through basically three transitions. I said the other day, it's like Discovery. We laugh about how no Star Trek series ever got settled before its third season. Well, if you think about it, Discovery is 15 episodes, but that's not like half of an old season. That's like a whole run. So if you think about it, think about it in Discovery years, like dog years, <laughs> then that third season happened about with the, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh episode. It became what it really became by then and, and uh you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's like it's on a compressed schedule, but it's still doing it. Because like, Star Trek is, to quote our great President W, Star Trek is hard. <laughs> Making Star Trek is hard. There's a lot of moving parts. And it's one thing just to think of an idea for a story, but you got to get the you know the physical production done. And uh, you got to get everybody on board on the same page. And and um, that's hard. So mm-hmm. that's my, you know, that's my big picture two cents on it. I can still get off and and you know argue or be disappointed or thrilled with little things along the way but the big picture thing is yeah it's great that we have star trek back in back in the bloodstream of of our culture um even mm-hmm. if it has some uh, you know down if it has some darker corners now whether or not that's germane that that's what you have to have to be taken seriously as a storyteller today in the in the game of thrones walking dead universe uh whether or not that it's still they still have characters talk as they did this week talking about now you've got the Terran Empire mirror universe totally contrasting, uh, you know, face to face. And they're arguing over that, you know, and not to spoilerific it here, but uh, Burnham and, you know, Michael and, and the Empress and talking George, back yeah. and forth, debating yeah. points. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's not that's not the the Klingon propaganda of the pilot, you know, mindset nationalism was kind of the uh, the outer layer of what we see on Facebook today only switched. But the the Michael uh, Georgiou Empress conversation is kind of like the subtext of what's going on today, and and it's good stuff. It's good stuff to have it, even, even if the whole show isn't brightly lit and shiny, and it's a completed mission every episode. Um, it's still good to have out there for people. It is. Man. I just yeah. I want. And here's my thing. I want. I can't wait to be have a convention panel or some kind of a forum. Where the only people in the room are like brand new fans. I would so love to talk to a group like that that had no idea about Star Trek before 27. Or if they had, they never paid attention. They never watched a Star Trek until 2017. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, it's kind of a funny one because uh, my nephew, um, he's like my middle nephew. Um, I used to have Star Trek on when he was growing up and he used to complain because it was boring. He was about six at the time. <laughs> Uh, and um, you know, even as he got older, he thought it was boring. And then he went to see the um, the first J.J. Abrams film. Now, I'm not really, I'm not really a huge fan of the J.J. Abrams track. 
Um, simply but because I hear a bud coming. Simply because I think Star Trek's actually better when it's um, a TV show. You know, well, yes, you've got yes. More, more time to spend with the characters and, and stuff like that. And the JJ track, it isn't because of the actors that I don't like it or or, or that. It's because the, the the story just seems quite shallow in comparison to a story that can be told in in the smaller format of a television series. You know, you are preaching the point. Although, don't you think the casting was one of the strongest things about it? I, I thought the casting was one of the strongest things about it, which is where is where uh, where, where um, the former editor of Trekweb and I actually disagree. Um, I mean, you, you probably know Gustav, who used to uh, edit Trekweb, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. Well, uh, by internet, I never met him face to face, but right. Yeah, I, I know him by internet, and we, we, we you know, we, we, all, we always uh, have this little, um, I won't say argument as such, because he and I don't really argue. We've just got a difference of opinion. You have um, a Spot McCoy thing about yeah. it. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> we got a bit of a Spot McCoy thing going on. <laughs> but, you know, um, out of the out of the new new films, I thought the last one was the strongest. The last one that they did, Star Trek mm-hmm. Beyond, felt like the mm-hmm. most Star Trek out of all of them. Right. Um, but um, moving moving on to Discovery, my nephew's not seen it yet, um, and he he's not really a Trekkie, but he actually loved the first two thousand nine Star Trek movie. Um, but I I'd, I'd actually argue that those those films were actually made for people like him, that are not lifelong Trek fans. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. Well, you know, there's been a lot of fans come out of it. That's the two things I say. I mean, they're not my artistically. They've obviously been executed as a you know, they got tons of money thrown at them. I know Rick and all, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan said at least and Rick, too. Basically, gee, if we'd had that much money on Generations and First Contact and all the others, just imagine what they could have done. But um uh, we've had a ton of fans come out of the out of the JJ movies, out of the Kelvin movies. I was really curious about. I, I could see two or three things happening. It's almost like when they were working on the atomic bomb at the Manhattan Project. They're mm-hmm. like, "Yes, it's either going to work exactly like we think, or it's going to set the atmosphere on fire and burn the entire world to a crisp." Or you know, it's like we think we know. Or they had, you know, they didn't know exactly when they landed on the moon. Is is that they were thinking all the probes showed. That the surface dust level was just a few inches was a powder, but they didn't know. What if they landed in a place where the powder was like ten or fifteen feet deep, and the limb just sunk in, and they couldn't they couldn't lift off again? You know, it's like well, you don't know. And people wondered if fandom would split, and we would have old Trek fans and new Trek fans, and the fandom would split with the movies. But that didn't happen. People saw that, and like I predicted, whether the movie was good or bad, it was still like you said. It was a movie, meaning it was just two hours of new track. And people would have to wait two or three or even four more years just to get two more hours. And the experience of having an hour every week, whether it was 26 or even 15 now, that, you know, and then you get more. But wait, you know, people are expecting to see characters and missions and cool gadgets and commentary unfold and canon filling unfold every 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 week for a while they want more than two hours every three or four years of track mm-hmm. and and that's what so the people who had that the same way that when the original track ended fan scenes exploded because people it's like i'm sorry you gave me this thing i'm in love with it and now you take it away how dare you i'll show you i'll just make my own and whether that was zines in the 70s or it was fan films in the aughts that's what that's the that's the reaction of, of fandom, but that's especially the reaction of 
I mean, sports people can now play, you know, they can play fantasy leagues. They can, they can play uh, video games. They get their fix that way. Uh, politics, politics kids can watch, you know, West Wing reruns, I guess, maybe. But in Star Trek, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's do your own thing. It's always been that way. Or maybe you build props or you cosplay or whatever, you know, and you go to, that's your thing. Or you build models, you know, analog, physical models, but, um, or CG. But that's the reaction that Star Trek has. It demand, Like I said, when I was a kid, I wanted to crawl inside my TV, and my first reaction was to start fleshing out the universe with tech manual pages and then fill out my concordance more. And then I realized, hey, I looked at my B. Joe concordance, and it was like, hey, look, these stars and planets are all just completely disorganized. They need to be organized because mm-hmm. so many of these stars are actual stars. Let's see what that looks like. So I started charting. I saw what the tech manual did. I started there. I realized that wasn't accurate. So I was doing my own thing. Then the 79, oops, the uh, the uh, star maps came out. I had to change. Um, then when Mike's layout came with the price and next generation, we redid for that. And then I got to work, you know, and then we did the projects in 02 and then the star cartography maps, you know, bring it forward. But so that's maybe some weird little minor OCD, not OCD really, but an organizational streak in me. But that was, if this if this place was going to be real, then by golly, it's going to be real. And real means we can <laughs> we can chart it, box it, you know, put it on a grid. We can all talk about it evenly. And so in various ways, it has that Star Trek has that effect on its fans when it's done right. Mm-hmm. And um, and bringing this back around, thank God, back to the Kelvin people, they they needed more. And by golly, they went and found the original series reruns. And then they found Next Generation. And, you know, at the same time, whether it was the master evil plan by Paramount and CBS or not, it was just concurrently with the time of the remastering of the original series, you know, and then Next Gen, and the streaming era breaking out on Netflix. And with having that access and even promotion going on, the Kelvin people all kind of got herded over there. And a lot of them... I had one guy, I'll never forget this, a guy at a panel at Phoenix Comic-Con in the middle of our discussion when I was kind of sampling the audience for this, stood up and said, well, I came in with the Kelvin movies. I found the original series, Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, watched every single one, and now I think the Kelvin movies are crap. (laughs) (laughs) But it was his entree, you know, it was his entry point. And I always like to say, you never never forget your first, no matter Mm -hmm. what it was or who it was. So you always have a soft spot in your heart for that, except for that one guy, apparently. Mm. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's always good. They, they weren't my cup of tea. I, didn't, I wish they hadn't done an alternate universe. I wish they'd spent time filling in all our gaps. They, they had this thing about, oh, there's nothing left to say. There's tons of things left to say about the original series characters. Yeah, I mean, but if they, they had just done what they did, only did it in a prime way without being paranoid, but they had a committee working. I think if... I still think if if um, the biggest fans on the committee had been left to do their own thing and not been made to you know Star Warsify it or double think what will what will play in the Chinese market you know in the East Asian market we have to have explosions and all these anime like touches or else it won't work. Mm, apparently that didn't you work know. for Star Wars and Last Jedi, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, right. But you know, so all that's in the mix, and again, that brought it back to me thinking. People were disappointed and wondering about that. Well, I was too, but I said, look, guys, it's playing for, you know, it's flipped. American movies don't think 85% domestic box office, 15% global. It's totally flipped. Everything is global now, or else you're, you're surely not going to have a, 
a big tentpole franchise movie, much less a small movie. And and I said, that's a fact. But it's also, that's a fact why Star Trek needs to be a series, because that's not a factor, mm-hmm. right? We can make it for us without worrying about making it for the world before we get the world up to speed. And I said, that's just another reason why we need a series. But, you know, finally all the... All the politics and the legalities and the contractual bits finally settled out. But I, I, you know, when the 09 movie came down, I went, well, they'll make three of these or four before everybody gets tired and the contracts run out mm-hmm. I mean, before I, we get back to series. And that's kind of not quite that long. Thank, I mean, I, it's come about faster than expected. But I knew things can't sit for forever, especially in Hollywood. People think when Enterprise was canceled, people said, that, you know, the pun mainstream people said, oh, well, Star Trek was just worn out and it just had tired blood and it'll it's going to take and the audience was worn out and it's just going to take 10 or 20 years to get Star Trek back. So, A, it was producer fatigue, not audience fatigue. B, the fan films were exploding right then. And C, J.J. came along within a year and said, I want to do one. And people were gasping. But, you know, it, it worked. They had their way of doing it. And the movie made more sense than a series because it's a one off. But um, and that's what he did. But it, um, you know, it was way, it was, Star Trek was back, quote unquote, way sooner than people were expecting, even if it was as a movie. So a series, to, is, you know, it's a business decision first to launch this new division. But a series, it's, it's been, uh, they announced it 10 years after the, it took 12 years to get it here. But they announced the decision 10 years after Enterprise was canceled. So that part was about right, but it also feels right as far as, all the attitudes of 05, 06 have changed. Back then, it was like, well, if you're going to bring it back, go back to the roots. And that's what mm-hmm. they did. You know, It's like, no, no, keep doing more. People aren't worn out. People are – you're stupid. But you, that was the suits, and that was the Bean Counter's perception of Star Trek at the time because Enterprise's ratings were, were dropping. Now shows the me- how much more splintered is the media landscape audience now. They, people would die for the ratings that Enterprise even had on Dinky Little UPN in the, in the states. So anyway, I mean, it's it's kind. I'll, it's I'll kind get to of, that rant. <laughs> it's kind. It's kind of funny as well because um, at the time that uh, Enterprise was made, it was still sort of like a partnership of um, Paramount and Viacom UPN. The the TV and mm-hmm. film was under the same banner. It was uh, before the Viacom divorce, yeah. yes. And and now it looks like there's going to be a new 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 banner of the of the of of the TV and and film franchises actually now coming together. From if if I'm reading that right. Well, I think you and I are both reading what people are hearing now. Whether it actually, I don't think they're rumors. I think they're actual reports of talks. But talks can go wrong, like they did two or three years ago. They were talking about doing it. Paramount, this movie studio continues to, and you know, it's more than just CBS and Paramount, uh, CBS TV network with its arms and Paramount. There's all the different arms of Viacom. They've sold a couple of things off, but there's still, you know, other channels attached to Paramount. The other, the other old Viacom TV channels are still there. So it's more than that, but Paramount, the movie studio is just in horrible shape. They're just the weak sister of all the Hollywood studios right now. And they, you know, all they can point to are their Star Trek and Transformer. The only franchise they have is Star Trek and Transformers. And Star mm-hmm. Trek, like you said, I thought Beyond was the best of the three movies too. But it did the you know, but the money counters who take everything from they look at the bottom line. Beyond did the least. It did it did better domestic, but its overseas was down. So then people, you know, so now in movie world, if somebody comes in and says this is the best Star Trek movie ever. 
then some cynic will say with the money purse will say, well, then it's not, it's going to lose money. Then <laughs> you can't do a Star Trek movie for Star Trek fans because it'll lose money. Right. And they'll, and they'll point to beyond being praised as the most Star Trekish of the JJ movies doing the least business. And, and ironically, so, it was the, um, it was one, one JJ movie that he didn't direct. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for uh, talking to us, Larry, and um, you know we look forward to the track files and um, and and everything that you've you've got in the works. Um, well, thanks a lot, Ian. And real quick, I'm actually having a launch party, <laughs> a birthing party for the for the launch of the track files. In this way, if you are not on my list at, at LarryNimacek.com, my Trekland list. If you go and subscribe to the Trek Files, um, you know, you get the podcast subscription, which is just you signing up. If you do that, come over to my page, LarryNimacek.com, get on my list, and you'll get a link for an eight-minute uh, sample of my interview with Robert Butler, who is actually still with us. He was actually a, uh, he was actually a TV movie director. He directed The Cage Oh, so right. he was, in a word, he was Star Trek's very first director. He is still with us. Wow. He's in his 80s, and he directed The Cage, and we had him as our first anniversary guest on Portal 47 at our first open house. And uh, anyway, my point is, uh, as a little, um, you know, I said, I don't have cake <laughs> for the party <laughs> of launching the track files, but I can get you through the Internet uh, this uh, eight, eight minutes Eight minutes with uh, Bob Butler and the images. There's a video with it too, and some of his photos and things. So come over, get on my list if you haven't. After you subscribe, come over, get on my news list. Don't don't spam you and bombard you at all, and uh, and you'll get the link for that. So how about that? That sounds great. You know, I'm, I'm going to get over there and subscribe myself right now. <laughs> good deal. Good. Now you can't light it like you could a cigar. When the baby is born, but that's the way I feel about the Trek files right now. So it's the least I can do. Mm -hmm. And you know, if I ever get, uh, I say if, when, when we're ready to finally premiere uh, the Con of Wrath, my documentary. Uh, maybe we haven't talked about it. Um, I've been working on it for several years. No, the the very first mega Star Trek event ah. happened two weeks after the Wrath of Con premiered. It was called the Ultimate Fantasy in Houston, Texas. All the original cast with one notable exception, were involved. It was supposed to be the biggest thing ever. It was the first big mega... It was the first big rock show for Star Trek of any kind, beyond just a normal convention. Arena stage, right, with orchestra, all this stuff. Cool. And it did not quite go as intended. As things <laughs> and never that's do. What the document, <laughs> yeah, as, that's what the documentary is about. But we've been working on it off and on for several years, just in a slow-motion way, and it's time to bring it home, and uh, people are tired of hearing me talk about it. They want to see it. <laughs> So uh, hopefully here this next year or so we'll be there. Okay, well, um, thanks again, Larry. We'll definitely have you on again at some future day. Um, it's been a pleasure talking with you and, uh, and listening to some, like, a lot of your ideas and uh, you, you know your, your, your knowledge of the history of Star Trek and your philosophies. Um, it's been really great sharing that with you. Everybody, this is Nick Tarabay, uh, Asher, and uh, Spartacus Gods of the Arena, Spartacus Blood and Sand, and uh, I'm here at SFP now. Keep listening, and thank you so much. Okay, well that that was my Nemesek there, and um, you know. Um 
as 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 he said, you know, check out the uh, Facebook page um, for Trek Files. Subscribe to the channel, and you 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 um you can get some goodies there. Um, joining us now is a uh, Raisa, and we're going to be talking about uh, the recent television shows that have been on of night. Uh, so Raisa, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. I'm 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 not so bad. I'm not so bad. Um, I've been enjoying the uh, recent Star Trek Discovery, and I've also been quite enjoying Librarians. Um, and I've got to say, I've also really enjoyed Black Lightning, and I think we I think we're going to discuss Black Lightning as well. Uh, to be yes, honest, yes, because yes. it's it's a new show. Um, it will obviously get discussed on the DC Action Hour, but we're not DC Action Hour, so no, <laughs> we no. can bring a different perspective. <laughs> Yes. Um, but uh, what what should we go with first? Um, let's go with um, Star Trek Discovery. Okay, um, Star Trek Discovery. Um, Marker is um, from the Mirror Universe, but we kind of seen that coming um, about so like you know three four months ago. Yeah, that um, that's the biggest issue is that. It's, it's very hard because on one hand, you could say they telegraphed it. On the other hand, it's internal logic. So, I mean, if, you, if they hadn't have followed it, we would have dinged them for not going with internal logic. So it's, it's sort of a, a lose-lose either way. But they need to figure out how not to telegraph these things to the, to, mm. to the degree they were. Well, you know, the thing is, um, as, as Larry pointed out in the interview that we, that we just played... Um, the the riders that are actually the riders and producers that are working on Star Trek Discovery now um, only really started to begin to have a say in in the plot and how it developed at around about episode eight or nine. So um, so so in so in that instance, I think they've done pretty well to sort like uh, to keep it that cohesive, given the the production nightmares that were happening behind the scenes with all the um, all the changes that went on. True. So maybe we shouldn't hold them to too high a bar until next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got, I've got to admit, I quite liked it. Um, yeah. I don't think the, um, I don't think the, the Giorgio being the Empress was telegraphed at all. No, although it's also logical. I mean, because what else are you going to do with Michelle Yeoh? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but they, they, there was no, there, was, they, there didn't seem to be too much buzz um, on the build up to the episode that she, she was revealed in um, to say that Michelle Yeoh was coming back. No, that's true. Yeah, and so that's, that was a genuine surprise. Yeah, that they got right. And if they and if they followed the same procedure that they followed with Michelle Yeoh with their other plot twists, it'll be an improvement. Yeah, but I think what helped them is the fact that they had Michelle Yeoh to begin with, and they they killed her off in the uh, first couple of episodes. Mm, so that true, I think true. that kind that probably kind of helped them. Um, I mean, I kind of, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still not too sure about this my 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 singing network and uh, the whole Stamets thing. It, you know, that that song like uh, that still sort of like seems quite trippy to me. You know, kind of having a warp drive that's basically run off mushrooms. It's <laughs> it is a bit trippy. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, there actually is a science behind it because the the actual uh, Paul Stamets on which the the uh, lieutenant is based on has actually written a book about the Masengian network or something about, uh, mush- about okay. mushrooms. So, 
I think there's some logic and science in, in it somewhere, but it just seems very, very trippy. Yeah, it does. But it'll it'll make sense in the end, I'm sure. Oh, we we can but hope. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I kind of I enjoyed the way that they brought him back uh, via that conversation with Dr. Culver. Yes, yes, yes. You know, that that was that was that was um I won't say it was clever because I think I think again that that was kind of internal logic but it wouldn't have been his his evil mirror twin that brought him back it would be some something or someone that he he has a close connection to that would have brought yes. him back. Also the, the the um producers have said that they haven't done barrier gaze with Dr. Culver that there will be more of a resolution to his death arc than what's obvious. Mm-hmm. And well, that the mycelial network will play a part in that, um, which makes sense because both actors are openly gay, and I doubt they would have signed on for barrier gays. I doubt they would have done anything like that. So um, it, it makes sense that there's more to more to it. There's more coming. Yeah, I mean, I I think we we are yet to meet Doctor Culver from the Mirror Universe. That's yeah. also a possibility. Yeah, so that 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 that's that's a definite possibility. Uh, I mean, the whole stuff with Volk and stuff like that. Um, I'm I'm not sure where that's going to go. Whether she's going to so like uh, you know turn him into a Klingon that we're familiar with from Star Trek: Next Generation, yeah, uh, or anything like that. Because I've actually been I've actually been reading the Star Trek Discovery comic, and ah. they they you know it's all about it's all about Tikumva and and his rise to power sort of thing, uh, the first story arc, which uh, is kind of, it's all right, but I kind of want a bit more about the Federation yeah, um, yeah. in it, you know, or, or like, I like, so like uh, to know what's going on in the Federation at around about the same time as Tecumba's making his rise to power sort of thing. Um, but um, one, one of the things I, I said in my review of that comic is um, there's, there's sequences where Tecumba is on Boref. Uh-huh. And, he, and he's undergoing the uh, spiritual sort of like journeys that all the Klingons undergo when they go to Boref. Um, Boref, of course, being the planet that that they used in in Next Generation to resurrect KS when when they brought the clone back. That that was that was Boref. Um, but the um, but the, the thing I'm saying is, uh, you know, one or two of the Klingons on Boref actually had facial hair. So it, you know, and I and I sort of commented on that in the comic, in you know, on, in the comic review that, you know, perhaps that's an indication of we're going to see Klingons with with actual hair in future episodes, which would be a step in the right direction, to be honest. Oh, okay. You know, um, because um, at the moment every Klingon we see has been bald. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. So. There is that. I mean, the 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 whole um, the whole mirror universe arc. Um, I I kind of like the reveal how how they revealed Narka, and uh, you know how how the night how how the arms went off when um, when when it was revealed that the the um, sensitivity to light was sort of like unique to those that were from the mirror universe. Yes. Yeah. I will say that that while we saw the overall twist coming, their delivery of it was excellent. Mm-hmm. I will give them that. Yeah, I, I thought the delivery of it was um, was, was absolutely brilliant. You know, it was sort of like it was well done. Yes. I also appreciated the fact that um, Volk was revealed 
because of his doppelganger. I didn't see that particular variation coming either. So, um, you know, so they, so they're giving us overall twists that we saw, but the, some of the details were, were at least, you know, interesting. Well, to be honest, Reese, I kind of did see that coming. As soon as we, as soon as we found out that they were going to beam down through a resistance sort of like stronghold, my mind actually went there. They're going to come across Volk, and he's going to be the leader of the resistance. And that's where my mind went. As soon as they went to the, as soon as it was revealed that they were going down, they were beaming down to the resistance base. It it did make sense, but I was so focused on meeting Mirror Universe Spock or Mirror Universe Sark, I, I should say rather, that I wasn't really focusing on it. So it kind of just it, it hit me, even though it was logical. Yeah. So um, discovery. Where? Where? How do you think it's going to resolve? Have you got any ideas about how how they're going to resolve this? Uh, are they going to sort of, Are they going to return to the to 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 their their own version of the universe and find out that there's no such thing as holographic technology and and uh, the uniforms are different and and everything like that yeah i you gotta wonder you gotta wonder um it could it could go that way um i'm more concerned with the command structure on board discovery once this is common knowledge um because the next in command once they get out is saru is saru and Saru's... Um, he's not ready yet. Well, it's not that he's not ready. I don't think he'll ever be ready to captain, captain the ship by, by the simple fact that he's um, actually um, actually an, an alien creature, that, an alien creature that's been bred to be prey. He's a prey species. You know, you know, I, a prey I don't species. see a prey species being captain material. I mean, it's kind of a stretch that a prey species is actually a first officer. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, so I, I can't... I can't see that uh, happening. What what I want to know is, uh, you know, um, will, will Saru find out that uh, Burnham actually ate um, a member of his species? You know, what's that conversation going to be like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was glad she avoided the conversation, but she's not going to be able to avoid it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No. You know, it's, um, it's, 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 uh, that's, that's a weird one. Um Yeah. But you know, um, it, it's very obvious what's going to happen is the Empress is going to need Burnham and and people from our universe to sort of like hold to to sort of like put down Marker's rebellion. Yes, yes. You know, um, and another question is is what actually happened to the actual Captain Marker? Can we assume he's dead? I I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I doubt, I doubt that Mirror Universe Lorca would have left him alive. I don't think that's how Mirror Universe Lorca is wired. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean it's, it, was kind, it was kind of obvious from the get-go that Mark, Mark was a, a Mirror Universe captain. I mean, I mean the, whole, the whole running of the Discovery ship from, you know, and the militancy of his, his security officer as yes. well. Um, I mean, I actually thought she was from the Mirror Universe, but apparently not because we actually meet her in the next episode. Oh, dear. So, you know, okay. she's actually, you know, um, she's actually sting, sting around. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it resolves. I think we've only got about three episodes left now before it finishes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so hopefully, uh-huh. it's, hopefully it's a very good three weeks for me. <laughs> Yes. Um, and um, you know, and, and hopefully it does does resolve, and we we wind up with something you know resembling, um, you know, a Star Trek that 
more more fans can get behind in the second season. Yeah, I also, from a specific narrative standpoint, given how it's played out, I'm going to be very interested in his old flame, the psychiatrist who became the admiral. Yeah, um, um, her, her reaction to this because she read it, she read it, and rightly so, at least at the surface level, as PTSD. Mm-hmm. But there's and, also, and that's, and that's true. There's also another interesting connection with her, as in the actress that actually plays, or the actor that plays um, Admiral Cornwell, actually is a spitting image of Neef from the original series episode, where where she was a, a reformed prisoner who was a psychiatrist on a penal colony. Oh, that's right. That's so. right. <laughs> So, you know, if they don't if they don't get to that this season, they, they you know the riders might go there next season, or you know possibly they might not. It might just be something that's being thrown out there as a red herring. Yeah, it's, you can never tell. But you know, it's 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 gonna it's gonna be interesting, and it'd be interesting to see if they they if we actually meet a younger version of Kirk. Oh, that would be very cool. Or or, or a younger version of of a, of, of Spock. Or, or even 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 meet the Enterprise because so like uh, I mean Kirk and Spock have been recast so many times. I mean, granted, mostly in fan films. Um, yes, yes. But I think they've been recast so many times now that the that that majority of fans um, would would be willing to go with it if if they found the right actors to do it. Yes, so. yeah, if they did. If they found the right actors, it would, it would work well. Mm-hmm. It would work well. Um, so. Um, moving off of Star Trek, um, where should we go next? Should we set course for librarians or should we go yes, for Yes, let's, let's, let's do it, librarians. Okay, um, I enjoyed the last two episodes, well, the last three episodes since we last talked. Yes. But um, there's been I, a serious lack of a story arc. Yes, it's like, who's the villain? Because, I mean, they, cause I, I, thought, I thought that they were bringing in John Noble as the villain. Yeah, and they killed. They killed. John Noble. They yeah. killed him off in the first episode, seemingly. Yes. Or, or did they? You know. I, I I don't know. Because it was kind of ambiguous way 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 up that that first episode ended. Yes. Um, but it's just sort of like uh, there there hasn't been um, a solid story arc beyond the tethering ceremony. And maybe that is the arc. Maybe that, I don't know. There, there hasn't really been, um, you know, a villain. I mean, last year we had Dosa, which was and yes. and, and also the uh, the other thing that was going on. Uh, the year before we had the, uh, the 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 guy from the Tempest. Yes. And the year before that, it was a uh, Matt Frewer, um, yes. Lancelot. So and they, to my mind, they haven't topped Matt Frewer as Lancelot. That's part of their problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just sort of like uh, this year because it's not really had a solid arc it just doesn't seem to have gelled quite as well no although I have appreciated getting more development um, for Jenkins mm-hmm. yeah. that was, that's been cool that last episode was pretty cool <laughs> that was that was yes and when he's when he's doing that dance revolution thing and then knights him at the end and it's like oh my god <laughs> This is so awesome. What, what I thought was funny is he was dressed up as a... He was dressed very much the way I used to dress when I was on, like, in my late teens and early 20s. Oh. <laughs> you know, in the in the ripped denims and, and studded belts and things. And I'm still dressing like that now sometimes, but, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that, that, that was quite funny. Um, and I thought... I thought... Uh, Jeff's snacker friends were quite funny as well. 
Oh, they were adorable. They were adorable. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, I just thought it was a, it, it was a well done episode. Um, and, and that, um, I also, I also quite like the episode where they're on, where, 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 um, uh, where they went to camp. Oh yes. You know, but, that was excellent because they had, they had so much stuff to cycle through after Flynn quit or whatever he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, there's, there's something that's actually, you know, did turn up in, in the last episode, which was a, which was a throw over from the camp episode in that the, uh, the, the female reporters that Stone yes, was dating, yes. uh, one of, one of her reports were, was amongst Jeff's memorabilia about the I saw that. That was and, kind of awesome. And I thought that was actually quite a nice little tie into that. So, you know, perhaps this thing is an arc going on, but it's just been so subtle that we've not really seen it. Yeah. Which I frankly prefer to having it in your face, like Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, but, you know, Star Trek Discovery is not just you know guilty of that either. Game of Thrones is as well. So yes, yeah. <laughs> so so let's uh, let, let's try and take it a bit easier in Star Trek Discovery this week. True, true. <laughs> um, but it's just um, you know I I I quite enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the episode. Um, that you know, that centered on Lindy Booth's um, character, on, that centered on Cassandra. Working oh yes, in that, that was lovely with the fairy. Yeah, that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Where where everything was perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I I want to live in a town like that, and that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I could know what was going to happen every day, and that'd be that'd be my version of paradise. <laughs> it would mine too. You know? um, but it's just so like the um, you know, as I say. The overall arc just hasn't been there, um, and it's a it's a bit. Do you, do you think Flynn's going to come back, or do you think they're going to king him off? Here's the thing: um, Flynn's entire story arc is informed at this point by whether or not Noah Wiley is willing to come in, and I think they need to fish or cut bait with Noah Wiley. Noah Wiley needs to decide whether he's going to stay or go because his status is frankly fracking with the overall story like story art uh, relative to Flynn. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, 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 he's become a flippity gibbet and the meta realities of Noah Wiley are negatively impacting the narrative and it's got to stop. Yeah. I, um, I kind of agree with you there because so like, um, he was in the uh, first couple of episodes of the first season and then we didn't see him again to the final episode. And, yeah. and by that time, we'd gotten used to the team, and when he came into it in that final episode, it seemed to sort of like, uh, you know, sort of mess up the the team team dynamic. Yeah. You know, when when you know, just as we you know really all got to bond with that team, sort of thing, and the the same happened in season season two as well, but not so much in season three because he was in more of season three. Yeah, so he needs to. He needs to. Noel Wiley needs to sit down and really have a think about what he wants to do long term with the show, and either stay or go. Pick one, mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's not working. What was logical in season one to help us get used to the new guys is no longer working structurally. And and also logically, if he comes back now, I don't think um, I don't think Baird's going to take him back. No, no, not on the same terms. Because she was, she was right to vent in that camping episode. She had had it. Mm-hmm. She had absolutely had it. You know, she's an, she's an adult woman and a, and a human being in general. And she expects, if, if not, not anything else, just basic courtesy, like she like she said. 
to stone. Uh, there, there comes a point where you can't just keep coming and going like that. And like I said, the, the internal logic no longer justifies what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and they only and they and Noah Wiley needs to sit down with the production staff and really just have have a talk about what he what he wants and what he hopes and 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 make some choices because this isn't working anymore. I mean, maybe maybe the whole storyline of there only being room for one librarian is a is a way and a means of writing all the others out, so no one can take it back. Maybe I don't know. Um, I don't know. Hopefully not. The other thing that the other thing that I'm kind of concerned about is it's fairly obvious that at the end of this process, um, Jenkins is going to get his immortality back by being one of the people in the tethering process. But the other the other issue is that tethering is a two way street, and they've been hemming and hawing about which of them is going to tether and who's going to do what and who's going to be where. And at no point in this process has it occurred to any of them to try and communicate with the library itself and ask the library what it wants. That, that's true. Um, although I think it's actually going to be Cassandra. Yeah, I think it, they've gone to such lengths over these past few seasons to establish the, the, the relationship she has with Jenkins specifically. And if you think about it thematically, she started out as terminally ill and he was immortal. Mm-hmm. And now she's no longer terminally ill and he's no longer immortal. And I think they're sort of cycling into she's going to be the one who joins him, and they sort of come to grips and find a middle ground, you know, once they once they join. And um, and it was, and they also established that she's bisexual, and she had a legitimate crush on Jenkins, and uh, and and he turned her down, and that's how we found out about Charlene and all that awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think. One of the issues is um, because the tethered individuals prior to them were Judson and Charlene, who were the lovers, and that was the love story, awesome too in its way, um, they're going to try and aim for a different dynamic. They're not going to go for a romantic dynamic so much as a just, you're awesome, thank you for spending eternity with me, you know, we're going to be okay together, we're family, you know, you're not... You're not going to die. I'm not going to die. Everything's happy. They're going you know? for they're going for more of a a friends strike mentor protege type thing. Yes, and I think they. I don't know whether they planned this arc initially or not, but if they planned it, they laid the seeds for it early on, mm-hmm. which I'm pleased for. I mean, um, as you were saying, the one thing that I've actually quite enjoyed this season um, is the 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 development that I've had with the characters. Um, especially Cassandra and especially Ezekiel Jones. Um, oh, Ezekiel, to me, I love him. To my mind, th- those two characters have, have, they, have been the ones that have actually benefited the most this season from, yes. from character development. Um, Stone's not really got had much to do, neither's Beard, you know. So. I think part of the problem with Stone and Beard is that they're such strong characters already by definition that in order to develop them even more, they're going to have to make some very specific choices and lay in those choices with a scalpel and, and not a trowel. And they haven't, I think they haven't decided how or when they're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think with Stone and Bird, they're going to have to do something where it's uh, either knife or death. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 the only way that, 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 that those two characters are going to get further development or not, as the case may be. And the, the problem with Baird is because of the way she's written, she's either going to be killed off, or if she leaves the library, she, she'll join Dosa. 
Mm-hmm. But it's only, it's going to be one of those two, and only one of those two. Whereas I, I don't. Whereas yeah. with Stone, there's there's not really an absolute either way. Yeah. No, and um, you know Stone really, um, if it came down to those two characters, Stone's a character that I wouldn't really want to lose. No. No. Um, um, where is it? I could actually live with Baird, Baird going over to uh, Dosa. I could too. I could too. As, as awesome as Rebecca Romaine is, I could live with her in, in Dosa. In fact, in fact, that that could be a logical outcome for her to actually replace um, Rockwell, her former mentor, in Dosa and actually reform Dosa. Mm. I mean, I could, I could, I could see that as a logical progression. But what, what, what I find really fun is uh, Stone's actually quite well versed in 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 in, in sort of like being able to sort of like fend for himself. But he's also and he's also a, a historian and and um, and all of that. So he's kind of like he's kind of like a geek, but he's also got elements of a guardian to him as well. Yes. So yeah. you know, so I think you know he could probably stick around and and um, substitute as a guardian. Yes. But still be be a librarian. He's he's kind of like he he's kind of like the one character that kind of has his has has a skill set that kind of suits both. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's because when Christian Kane came over from Leverage, the writers were smart enough to realize that they couldn't change his Leverage character that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And, they, you know, he's obviously developed his martial arts in the show. I mean, because remember, the, the, the character development he's had in, in the first episode, he was basically uh, barely holding his own in a pub brawl while so like uh, kind of cheating, fist fighting, really. Um, yeah. So there was nothing, you know, particularly great about, and that that takes a great deal of skill when 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 you're a trained martial artist to be able to do that because you're kind of dumbing yes. your movements down. So yeah. So, um. So 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 in that in that sense, in, in the physicality of the characters actually evolved, um, is as well as the um the internet. Yes. Um, yeah. But you know, it's good. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where these last few episodes go. I think there's only three left now, isn't there? Actually two. It's two. a two-part finale. All yeah. right. So are they going to show both parts at once next week? or? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. I doubt it. Mm. Okay, I'll have to see. They they rushed this season in terms of the scheduling this season for some reason. I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. So but, part but, of the problem, I think, is that they haven't announced whether we're getting a season four or not. Yeah, they did the same last year, though. When, when the yeah, and they starts. and they didn't and they didn't weird up the scheduling, so I'm not sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. So um, move off librarians now on to uh, Black Lightning. Um, I've really enjoyed the first two episodes. It seems like a much more adult superhero show. Uh, the dramatic beats play out more like an adult show than, yes, than, than yes, the exactly. Queen Age show. You could especially especially see it. In the um, in the second episode, when uh, when Lynn, his ex-wife, has it out with both him and Gamby, they express you know alternate viewpoints from each other, but they don't do it you know histrionically, or like they're in the middle of bad soap. They 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 argue, but they argue like grown-ups, and I and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Where whereas uh, whereas if you watch that. If you watch that episode and you watch this week's Arrow side by side, um, it's like different universes. It literally is different universes. Yeah, but it's also different sort of like writing styles and and um, and that thing as well. Because yeah, yeah, 
the the um, the, the home arrow falling out of Team Arrow is sort of like more history on it than. <laughs> You know, it's it's useless. I, I have I know that we're supposed to have sympathy for the newbies, but I have absolutely none. I can't take it anymore. I, I need I need I need them to grow the heck up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just uh, you know, I, I I watched the episode last night and I thought, yeah, it was okay. You know, I gave it about I think I gave it an eight out of ten for the story, which was probably a little bit generous, but. I, 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 if nothing else, I appreciated the fact that William is in on it now, and I'm not going to do that whole idiotic secret identity, you know, thing. Because like, I, I hate secret identity tropes. I'm mm-hmm. so over them. I'm, I'm in, I'm in a weird situation where, as much as I enjoy superheroes, I don't like superhero tropes. I just straight up don't like superhero tropes anymore. Um, I'm, I'm bored with like almost all of them, and, um, and Black Lightning is refreshing in that. It's not quite as trope driven as the other shows. Yeah, but I think I think one of the reasons for that is it was actually probably written. I think I think Black Lightning was probably developed in the seventies. Uh, you know, probably right alongside the Detroit Riots and mm. stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting in that the uh, the the the. Um, the, the, the district that it's actually set in is actually within w- within sort of like the the Superman universe. So it's actually within you know what's the name of the city that Superman's in? Metropolis. That's right. It's because it, I remember I, I was reading it was originally set in the suicide suicide suicide. suicide. Yeah. So nah. it's, that, that that's kind of interesting take. So you know. If we don't see Arrow turn up on that show, we could we could actually see Superman turn up. On I would it. actually like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. That or, or 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 even Supergirl, but I think I'd prefer Superman to turn up on it. <laughs> yeah. So, so Supes and Black Lightning can go 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 down down the pub and have a few jars. And I, I noticed that David Harewood is already already tweeting to fans that he wants to see fans, you know, do up some. Some uh, some Martian Manhunter Black Lightning crossover posters, and I tweeted back to him. I tweeted, you know, we'll we'll give you crossover posters when you give us the crossover. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I would have elaborated on that and said, uh, I'll give you crossover posters if you do as a crossover, but keep Supergirl out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but, but but seriously, um, Black Lightning. If they're gonna do a crossover at all, Black Lightning absolutely has to meet. Martian Manhunter and and Dad Martian Manhunter Senior. Mm. And I also think that if they do do crossover, they need to do it within the Black Lightning universe and not have him go over to the other shows. Not right away. No, not unless they severely unless say severely adjust the the tone for his specific visit or something, mm. which they could do. Well, I you know I've I've enjoyed the uh, first two episodes. Uh, Funnily enough, um, it's it only premiered here in the UK this week, mm-hmm. and it's uh, been picked up by Netflix. Oh, so, so okay. Sky One are not showing it. Netflix are showing it, cool. which is really, really interesting because so like um, Sky One has all the other DC shows. That says a lot, actually. So it's, it says that it says it says that Netflix actually sees it more akin to their. Marvel output than anything that the CWDC shows are already giving us. Yeah, but I think it also I think it also uh, shows us that uh, the streaming services now are becoming more serious about their audience and and uh, and and the various niche audiences 
than the mainstream sort of like than the old mainstream channels are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because sort of like um, you know, Sky One when it first came when Sky when it first happened, it was a place to go for Star Trek here uh-huh. in the UK. Um originally Star Trek was on the BBC. Uh-huh. And Star Trek Next Generation premiered on the BBC for its first two seasons. No, sorry, first three seasons. And uh, what happened is we got to see the first episode of Best of Both Worlds and then nothing for 18 months um, on, on the BBC to do Star Trek at all. And it was all because Sky One had picked up the rights to all the Star Trek shows to uh. air all the Star Trek shows in the UK. And they, they held on to those rights all the way through to Enterprise and kept them going for a while. And and uh, now here in the UK, uh, Netflix has all the Star Trek rights at the oh, moment. Okay. But they, cool. they, they are sort of like episodes of Voyager showing on the Horror Network here in the UK and and old episodes of, of, of TNG showing on the Horror Network here in the UK as long as Highlander. Uh, but it's just sort of like it's really it's really weird how 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 it's all, all panning out. But it's it's sort of it's sort of funny because um, there's been a few there's been a few shows that Netflix has picked up that um, other mainstream channels have, have neglected to. I mean, Netflix picked up Once Upon a Time, and you know, and I told you about what happened there. Yeah. You know, Channel Five shot sort of had the first two seasons, and then decided that he wasn't getting ratings for them. And the reason he wasn't getting ratings for them is because they they were showing it um, on on a Sunday afternoon when no one was really what pay pay much mind to it. They didn't really give it a prime time spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the uh, and 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 stuff like that. But it's sort of like uh, it's funny because Netflix has picked up quite a few. Uh, shows um, that that would have been would have been picked up by Sky One um, probably about ten fifteen years ago. Mm, okay. You know, and and Sky One they've kind of like uh, they've made their bed on 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 the uh, successes of Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of the Gang, Legends of Tomorrow, mm, and yeah. Supergirl. They show all those shows, but um, and and they showed them over four nights as well. So yeah. Speaking of speaking of Legends of Tomorrow, the um, the advanced publicity for the mid season premiere is already coming out, and we're getting Constantine stuff. It's so cool. Cool. Well, talking yes. of which, I can't wait for the Constantine animated show to start up. Is there any news on that? Not not available yet. I'll let you know when. Although even when it is available, you probably won't be able to see it for a while because it's on that idiotic um, CWC um, service that you're not able to access. Mm, well, we're not we're not able to access it uh, legally, <laughs> um, but then again, we're not really able to access it um, any any other way either. No. Um, but, you know, it's um. But I I'm I'm just wondering if they might sit on it until they until they actually get the DC subscriber thing ready. I don't know. I don't know. I, all I know is that um, is that Constantine is going to be in the first two episodes back. And maybe they're putting it off until after those episodes have aired. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, Matt Ryan is apparently very busy, he didn't let the he didn't let the the grass grow after they um, canceled Constantine on NBC. So they've had to work his appearances subsequently in and around an otherwise very busy work schedule. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah well, when when you're in, when you're in the acting game, you can't really afford to let the grass grow. No, you can't. No, it's... And that's it's 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 one of the it's one of the reasons why fans are pissed at DC and NBC because they don't blame Matt Ryan for that at all. They know he's got to eat. You know, they they blame DC and and NBC for being stupid enough to to let him go in the first place because that's exactly what he was going to have to do once they did. I think yeah. the fault there lies mostly with NBC. Yeah. To be honest, um, I don't think you know because the DC were just so like the they they just own the licensing mm. thing, um, and really it was just so like uh, NBC. I mean, I think to have done Constantine properly, it would have needed to have been on 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 something like Stars or HBO. Although yes. that said, the the Constantine series that NBC put out was fairly faithful to to the comics. Yeah. Um, although the 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 one the one tragic thing about uh, the TV series is we never got to see Swamp Thing because uh, in the Constantine comics and Hellblazer comics, especially the recent ones, Swamp Thing makes quite a few appearances. <laughs> oh, I wanted to see Swamp Thing so badly. <laughs> I love Swamp Thing. Yeah, but it's just um, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm just kind of hoping that the animated show that they do is actually good and it it it, it goes for a while. Um, Usually, well, what happened with Vixen, and they'll probably use the same Vixen model, is they'll run um, two abbreviated seasons with webisodes and then scrunch the two seasons together with some connecting material into what will become then an animated film. Mm-hmm. Because that's what that's how they treated Vixen, and the Vixen model worked for them, so that's probably what they're gonna do. Okay, well, I think on that note, we, we it's probably a good note to end the show on. Cool. Um, so that's all for us uh, for this week. Um, Risa and I will be back again um, in 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 the not too distant future. Um, don't know when, but we'll we'll, we'll be popping up again. Um, so until then, bye bye.